0: Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Welcome. We're really glad you're joining us after your Christmas break.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Christmas is already Christmas passed. It's <laughs> passed.
0: It's over. It's done with. And um, I will still have my Christmas tree up. You will for months. For months. How long will it well, take you? Normally until January.
1: Until Erica gets
0: tired of it. Until your wife is just <laughs> over it. I would have it up forever. <laughs> well, like we promised before the break, we're really excited about this opening episode. We're starting the Book of Psalms. Um, we're yeah. done with Exodus. It's in the past. We're moving on. To the Psalms. To the Psalms, and with us um, is Jeff Vanderstelt. And uh, if you if you, if you're unfamiliar with Jeff, how dare you? Uh, Jeff is is an amazing man of God. It really um, has been super influential in my life. I think in Seth's as well. Yeah,
1: his books are awesome. I yep. I passed them out to my student leaders, to leaders. I've read them myself. Yeah. And, and so Jeff yeah. is a pastor, a speaker, author, founder, and visionary leader of Saturate
0: and the Soma Family of Churches. He also serves as the teaching pastor and director of Missional Communities at Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. Washington. Additionally, he uh, he also supports church planning globally through training and uh, as a member of the advisory board of the C2C Network. He lives with his wife Jane and three kids. Uh, to find out more about Jeff, you can go to jeffvanderstelt.com or follow him on Twitter at Jeff We'll include all that in the bio, obviously. We'll talk more about some of his books that he has coming out and some Gospel Basics for Kids stuff he has coming out. How
1: old are your kids, Jeff?
2: Uh my oldest daughter is 16, my son is 14 and our youngest daughter is 12.
1: What made you want to write The Gospel Basics for Kids now in this particular season rather when they were 2 or 3 or 4 or 5? Um <sighs> why now?
2: Well, that really is the fruit of us helping parents for many, many years try to really apply the gospel to everyday life. And I I think it's best writing stuff on the other end versus when you're still (laughs) trying to figure it out. (laughs) Uh, So I think that's just the fruit of a bunch of us coming together and saying, what have we learned and how can we help others?
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Yeah, so it's really cool. We, We actually were kind of peeking at it before. Because we're totally ordering it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I was like, the, the Gospel Basics for Kid thing. It's 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 awesome for families. If you if you got a community group or a missional community, as Jeff likes to call them, uh, it's great for church classroom stuff. It's all about. It's, right, 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 Jeff. I'm right in saying that it's about rooting kids and who they are in the gospel, like their gospel identity, and doing that with kids. Is that is absolutely. that absolutely? Yeah, and it's yep, a it's yep, a it's cause... a curriculum, right?
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah, because we believe that everything uh, we do flows out of what we believe. And yeah. if we are gospel-centered people, then believing the truth of who we are because of what God has done in Christ Jesus will change everything. So we want to get our kids grounded in that as early as possible.
1: I know. So I'm a student pastor here at Bridgeway, and so I feel um, pretty frequently the need to help parents communicate the gospel more clearly to their kids. And I normally find that it's not for lack of trying, it's like mm. they feel just a deep sense of shame and inadequacy when it comes to trying to communicate. How do you talk to parents whenever you're like trying to encourage them to do the right thing, or do you do you find something different going on in the heart of your parents when they're trying to be good Christian parents?
2: <laughs> yeah, well I, I think first of all I have to I have to help them identify that the tendency in our parenting is to use a a worldly method for behavior modification, and that worldly method usually uses sin to change behavior. Uh, So uh, in other words, like the effects of sin, which is shame, guilt, and fear, we tend to use the effects of sin to get our kids to stop sinning instead of the gospel, which not only uh, forgives us of sin, but transforms us from the inside out as a primary motivator for changing our kids' lives. So, yeah, we have to work at, first of all, help them understand they tend to go the wrong direction in their parenting because they've been trained all their life to be a moralist or a legalist or even a deist, you know, right. that thinks of a far off God that you've got to live for, but doesn't have a God who came near and changes us from the inside out.
0: Oh man, yeah. And so, like, what age group is that? Is that really aiming at there? Is that is that teenagers? Is that young kids? What What are you trying to aim at there? What would be the ideal age for that?
2: This particular book that we wrote is definitely working at much more the elementary age kid. Yeah, uh, for sure. But i I think any anybody who is working with kids would do well to read it. And then yeah. think through how do I apply these principles to all ages because it, they're transferable to all ages. Fact, Definitely, I think the beauty of it is that if an adult takes their kids through it, the adult's probably going to grow in their gospel <laughs> identity. So yeah, and, so and it's that, not like
1: we grow of out of yeah, <laughs> using the effects of sin yeah. to like <laughs> <laughs> change yeah. our behavior. No, I don't right. do that anymore. <laughs> uh,
0: I, yeah, I always run to the gospel to fight sin. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Uh, and then <laughs> and then for adults and and really foundationally, uh, for a long time you, you've been talking about gospel fluency, and you have this gospel fluency handbook. Which is is something that groups can go through, you know, more aiming at the adult crowd, the young adult crowd. Um, talking about that, what, how would you, how do you define gospel fluency, and what does that mean? And uh, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about, in a nutshell, what gospel fluency is.
2: Yeah, the concept comes from language study. So whenever you're learning another language, um, you, you know, when you're first learning it, you're not fluent in it. You, you know, the vocabulary. You're learning the grammar. You're trying to figure out how to take you know i i might be in another culture i'm listening to their language but in my head i'm still thinking my mother tongue and i'm trying to do all the translation work in my head before i spit out the words in their language that yeah. i want to say when you become fluent you stop doing that you you think in that language you you dream in that language you interpret in that language you filter in that language your emotions are in that language it becomes everything, in a sense, that you do life with. And, the, and so the gospel should, because it's by the, through the gospel by which we've been given new birth, it should, in a sense, be our mother tongue. It should mm-hmm. be the language that we we dream with, think with, feel with, emote with, think of the world with. So it should be. we should be so fluent in it that we're not always asking, what does the gospel say to this? But we should get to a point where we're so immersed in it that we're just constantly applying the truths of the gospel to everyday life. So we want to get to the place where we translate the world through it, our emotions are expressed with it, our language is saturated with the good news of the gospel in some way or another. And I don't mean just saying like gospel snippets, like throwing out gospel words. I mean, I mean, it's like, it just changes everything from the inside out in how we live our life.
1: How does yeah. it change the way that we read the Bible then? Because I think right. most of us are, I mean, that's what our podcast is, is seeing the gospel in all of scripture. So how does being inhabiting the imaginative universe of the gospel mm. change the way that we read our Bibles? Like how should a Christian who is gospel fluent read Psalm 1, Psalm 2, the book of Psalms differently?
2: Yeah, well, I think I think the entire Old Testament is, is meant to create a longing for Jesus. It's mm. meant to create an expectancy for Jesus. It, it in a sense, leaves us wanting, uh, whether it's a character like David, who you want to be like, but you know you can't fully be like, because he's still an adulterer and a murderer, <laughs> you know, but really a guy after God's own heart. So we find ourselves in his story, but we certainly don't want him to be our king, right. ultimately, or whether it's someone... You know, like David, who you, I mean, not David, oh, like Esther, who, you go, man, what an amazing story, and yet she's still a broken woman, and yet. She has the opportunity to go on behalf of the people before the king to save the people. Well, that creates a longing for a better Esther who can go on our behalf before God and save us eternally, not just temporarily. And so I think the entire narrative of the Old Testament creates a longing for a better or fulfillment, an expectancy to create to prepare our hearts for the reception of this Messiah, of this faithful one who will come. All the prophetic uh, scriptures are always saying there will be something. uh, So I think the Old Testament is constantly doing that for us. And then uh, what we get in trouble, I think, is when we think the New Testament no longer does it because it's just telling us the story (laughs) and people go like, okay, now try to be like Jesus. And and so now you get you get Jesus, but now you got to be like Jesus Instead of going, no, 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 like if you keep reading, you realize that the the Gospels are telling us a picture of the one who is the true human, who apart from him we could never be. And so not only is he the example of, so we want to hold on to Christus Exemplar in the Mm -hmm. Gospels, but we also want to realize that Christus Exemplar can only be found in Christ, not in us. (laughs) And so it should lead us to want what he is to realize we aren't what he is, and therefore we need him not only to forgive us for all the ways we fall short, but to transform us from the inside out with a very spirit that empowered Jesus to live it mm-hmm. so that now Christ can live his life in us, which is why you get Paul writing in Colossians that he is the preeminent one. He is the supreme yeah. one. And it the hope of glory, which is us becoming what God intends us to be, is still Christ in us, Colossians 1.27. So, so then when you're getting the Gospels, you're going, okay, how did he fulfill all the Old Testament? How is he the better human? How did he accomplish for us what we can't accomplish? And then you get how he died for our sins and all the ways we fall short and rose again to give us new life. And then when you look at all the letters, you're looking now back, in a sense, at how that applies to being God's people in this place, in this time, desperately needing a Savior, just as those who were looking forward desperately needed a Savior. The Mm -hmm. difference being is now that mystery has been revealed in Mm -hmm. Christ. So so every aspect of Scripture should be pointing us to the, the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ.
1: So how, so like practically then, so you have, whether it's a new believer or somebody who's trying to be in ministry, leadership in ministry, and you want them, we want you preaching Jesus. We want, when you open your Bible, we want you to see Jesus every time we speak the Bible. We want you to be pointed to Jesus. How do you help teach people to read the Bible that way?
2: We basically give them four questions that they should work through every time they open the text. What does this text say about who God is? So that's theology. Get to, get to know the character of God, mm. which is revealed through the second question, what he's done. That's And I'd say that's really Christology, because the idea of Christ is where you see God's rule and reign come into a place a place and most fully in Jesus, of course, but there there is this idea that that God's rule and reign is being expressed every time God does work. And so all of God's work reveals God's character. So the first question is who is God as revealed by what God has done. And we always want to connect those dots. Because if we just say God is love and we don't say how we know that, then we have this very impersonal, far off God. Instead of no how do we know that? Well we know that most fully in Romans five eight that this is how we know God's love, that while we were still still sinners, Christ died for us. First John four, God's love is expressed in Christ coming and giving himself for our sins. And so you got all these different pictures of who he is by what he's done. And then the third question is then who are we in light of what he's done first john four is a really great one to do that with because you get all these questions easily answered if you want to teach someone how to do this and who are we then we are the beloved Mm. because we've been dearly loved by god and then if we believe we are the beloved the fourth question is what do we do so who is god what has he done who are we and then what do we do and in that particular text if we believe that we have been dearly loved and we are the beloved then we love one another as we have been loved And so those first three questions are what theologians call the indicatives, what is true no matter what you do, and the fourth question is the imperative, what you do because of what is true. And so uh, we want to teach our people to read their Bible always Mm -hmm. answering those questions, because it will force them to good theology expressed in their Christology— who God is through Christ, mm-hmm. revealed most fully. And then it leads to our ecclesiology, our sense of who we are as the people of God, which then produces missiology, what we do in the world on behalf of God. And when we keep reading our Bibles that way, we get the order right. We don't start with what do we do. We start with who he is, what he's done, and who we are as a result, which then produces what we do. So right. that's how we teach people to read their Bibles. I also teach them to, always, to ask several questions like, what, what does this text say about those uh, things that I just said? Who is God? What has he done? Who are, who are we? But also, if I believe uh, all these things, what would I do? And then I want to ask, why don't I do it? Mm. So this is where I, I would speak to preachers, especially too often preachers or Bible study leaders, you know, they do inductive study, which is, what does this say? What does this mean? What do we do? And if you just do that, you never talk about God. You never talk about Jesus. Right. You just It's all about you. Yes, and, uh, and you, and unfortunately you can make the Bible all about you if you do that. But if you say, what does it mean? What does it say? What would we do if we believed it? And oh, I would yeah. say, what does, it what does it say about who God is, what he's done, and who we are? What would we do if we believed it, but we don't right. faithfully yeah. and perfectly. So what does it say about us? Right. And what, why don't we, and what's broken in us? Cause yep. I want to come to the end of myself and then I want to ask the next question, how did Jesus do what I don't do well? And that, that leads me to a Christ-centered application where I go, let's look at the gospel and how he fulfilled what I don't. And then I yeah. can say, what do I do now in light of what he's done? So I would, I would make the questions, what does it say? What does it mean? And I'd go after those questions I laid out, who is God, what has he done, who are we? Then why don't I do it? If I say I believe it, why don't I do it? Mm-hmm. That's where I need Jesus. How did Jesus do what I can't do? And as I get Jesus, how is he transforming? And how, how, how do I invite the spirit now to come and change me from the inside out to bring the very real presence of Christ to enable me to do what I can't do apart from him?
0: Yeah. Oh, it's so extremely helpful. And yes. I I remember even when you were here in Oklahoma City um, at our church, Bridgeway, and you were leading the saturate conference and everything, and you walked us through that that whole that whole thing. I mean, it 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 was it took what I knew in like a loose way and made it so practical. And actually helped me like go, oh okay, like this is what I try to like scramble to do and throw together like a mishmash of like yeah. of like hermeneutics and everything to try to figure out what how to read the Bible. But like such a systematic way of talking about theology, Christology, ecclesiology, missiology has been. And I think for really a lot helpful. of our
1: listeners too, like the goal of this podcast is to equip the body of Christ to be able to do this on their own. And we hope we can provide a good example. And I think right. what you've given us is a really helpful framework for anybody to do what we're doing. What we're doing is not special by seeing Jesus in all (laughs) scripture. We're asking who is God? What has he done? Who are we? What do we need to do? And why don't we do it? Right. Because we need Jesus and his Holy spirit. (laughs) And I love, I love too,
0: that you've, you've kind of like, you've put the emphasis, 75% of the questions are about who God is, what he's done, who he's made us to be. And then 25% is, okay, so what do we do? And the proportions are right in that in that way. But so often we spend 90% of our time talking about, well, what am I going to do? What, do I, what am I supposed to do? How do I do this right? And we put the burden on us. We put the salvation on us. And, and doing it this way, making sure the weight of the questions is just poured out on who is God, what did Christ do, what does that make us? It, it fixes so many of the idols of legalism that we try to live our lives by. So it's really, really helpful stuff. Um, That's great to hear. Yeah, yeah
2: and, let, and let me add to that, if you do this well, it will lead to worship.
0: Yes, yeah.
2: Right? Because you'll, you'll be amazed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you'll just be like, oh, God is incredible. <laughs> yes. He's amazing. I need him. Look what he's done. Uh, and it, not only that, but it'll also lead to uh, prayer. Because then mm. you'll you'll know how you need to pray. Um, I, like I do this with my kids at dinner table, you know, several times a week. We do a, three different kind of key exercises. One is I, I take them through a passage. We ask these four questions. Then I have them pray through kind of the acts, adoration, confession, oh, thanksgiving, right. yep. supplication, in light of what they just experienced. And it's really, mm. I mean, I'm, my kids. You, I, you heard my age. The ages at the beginning. Uh, they are, they engage it very effectively, and it's very it's very exciting them in a a whole way to read their Bible, and it's very practical at the end. Um, But then what I've also found is that when I take them through this, uh, they end up being able to be Christ-centered in their application of normal issues with their friends.
1: And so it's
2: a Christ-centered ability that's biblically grounded, because it's all based on the text. But they can take it into everyday life because they're learning how to ask those questions in every situation. It's
0: like it would be like if you're speaking Spanish at the dinner table every night, it's making you fluent. Right. That's, that's kind right. of the, that's kind of the metaphor you use in gospel fluency. Oh, I love completely,
2: that. completely. Yeah. yeah. And then I have them like sometimes we'll do what I just described. And then once or twice a week, I'll say, OK, let's just look at the life of Christ. Why is it good news? Yeah. Just talk about that. Or another night, it'll be the death or the resurrection. Sometimes I've actually spent time just on the burial. Why is the burial such good news? That's part of the gospel. It is. And so I want them to be able to articulate why it's good news for them, not just out there theory but why is the burial actually good news mm. for their personal life
0: i love that question it's a question i often ask of preachers whenever like because you know I, like when i travel and go around and like I'll, I'll i'm trying to be nice to the preachers but they preach a <laughs> re- really legalistic sermon and what—that's the one question i found that's disarming, but gets to the heart of the issue—is I'm like, hey, so you know, I was thinking about your sermon. What was good news about what you said? You know, like, and mm-hmm. like, and often they don't have an answer. Like, there, there's no good news in what you've said. You've told me a lot of heavy mm-hmm. things that put the yeah. burden on me, but you haven't given me any good news. And so you haven't even—you haven't told me the gospel, nor given me the one means by which I could accomplish the ends that you wanted me to achieve, because I don't have that those first 3 i don't have the theology the christology or the ecclesiology to actually do the missiology
2: right so it's really yes. helpful and you know a helpful thing for both preachers but i think for everyday christians is to say if if you don't get excited about what you're to, about to say and you don't think it's amazing news, yeah. then you probably aren't preaching the good news.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Right? So, yeah. like,
2: and, and I don't mean excited because you think you're smart. I think mean, yeah. some pastor's are like, look, I got something cool to tell you that nobody knows. That's called Gnosticism, yep. right? Secret knowledge. <laughs> continue to try and secret knowledge that you can only find through me because I'm the Wizard of Oz. You know, like, <laughs> that's not what we're after. We're after something that's accessible to everybody by the Spirit. And I, but it should be such good news that I can't contain it. And so when you get the unction as a preacher, mm. it's cause you know what you're about to say. Yeah. is so stinking good <laughs> that everyone's gonna that has a spirit is gonna be rejoicing inside and those who are being saved are gonna like their eyes are gonna be open, it's gonna change their life forever. When you know you've got that, man, you preach with a gut. You mm. know, like you have guttural excitement that comes out of you to give to people.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. And like you said, it's not just for the preacher. It's for the everyday Christian. You go look at a passage and ask of it, what's good news in this, right? And then that will create this worship, this unction in you to just cry out and praise and then know of God what to ask like it, in prayer praise and prayer is really good so let's get let's 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 get down to the last specifics here as we as we kind of like get to the back half of the episode um and so start asking about the psalms if possible yeah. and, and you, you got, said those yeah, four
1: those four questions like lead you to worship and prayer yeah. so what we have in the psalms yeah. Yeah, worship is like a collection for... <laughs> of worship and prayer to That's the good. lord and so you see That's i think right. you see David working through these questions he does. over and over yeah. again in the psalms so how do you how do the psalms in Particular equip Christians for gospel fluency. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, the Psalms really are the songs of Jesus, and they are the the prayers of Jesus. I mean, it's what he grew up with singing and praying. Mm. And what I love about the Psalms is, I mean, I'm going, I go through them daily right now, right. and I'm you know just practicing everything we're talking about with these Psalms. What I love about them is that um, they give for us, they give to us language of really these four questions. I mean, it really is in there. <laughs> uh, you have to, you have to like have them in your head while you're going through it. But they give us the language of the gospel. They, they give it. They, they spell out the character of God. They talk about what He does. They work through who we are as His people, and then what we do. And what's beautiful is sometimes the psalms start in the wrong place. Right. You know, like. You know, it's like you're starting out with someone who's like, I hate my enemies and I wish you'd kill them. And and then you realize by the end, as they start talking out loud what's going on in their heart, the very truths of who God is and what he's done and who they are transform their prayer and their song. And I I love that the Psalms are full of that because I think it allows normal, everyday people who are struggling with everyday life, gives them language to say out loud what's going on in their heart. I tell people all the time the Psalms are the best demonstration of normal everyday people being honest with God and then God meeting them in their honesty and transforming their their prayers while they're praying them. I mean it's just it's beautiful. So they're they're loaded with the language of the gospel. They create a longing for the gospel. Oh, I mean, the Psalms create a longing for a savior, a longing for a shelter, a longing for a refuge. I mean, every single Psalm in some way is going, hey, I'm I'm leading you to the water. You know, you're thirsty like a deer pants for water. Right. Guess where that real water comes from, mm. correct? And then then you connect that to the Samaritan woman and how Jesus says, I've got water that you'll (laughs) never have to worry about ever getting thirsty again. And you start seeing all those connections between the Psalms creating a longing and giving us language for a savior and then finding in Jesus the fulfillment of every one of those deep longings. So that's what they do. They teach us the character, the nature of God, the language of the gospel, create a longing for Jesus. They give us the full range of emotions that humans go through, and then how God meets you in those emotions and, and brings healing or hope or restoration. Of course, we know ultimately they lead us to the most emotive expression of God's affection and love, which is Christ yeah. uh, being the one that gives us the greatest fulfillment and healing and restoration. <laughs> so they, I love them because if you will pray them, you will you will create categorically gospel language, especially if you know Jesus. Like yes. I think— Apart from Jesus, you could you could create you know a devoid of it being satisfied and fulfilled if you're not careful, Um, but but they're meant to lead us to Him ultimately.
0: Yeah, I've seen people do that. I've seen people like I've talked to people come to me like I'm struggling with being angry at God, and I'm like, well, have you have you worked through the lament psalms? You know, have you prayed them? And they find them really unhelpful because they just feel like they're venting. And uh, because they don't have that final grounding and expectancy in Christ. And so it does, you're right, like if we don't know that for which we're panting, <laughs> we, we will yeah. still end up thirsty. So
1: here's another question on yes. the, the panting, longing yeah, yeah, yeah. side of things. One of the things that David will frequently say is that he longs and desires and pants after the word of God. Yes. The Torah, the law specifically. Yeah. How, do, how does David's desire and hunger and love of the law bring us to Jesus as well? that's mm. something I've always wrestled yeah. with. But
2: yeah. yeah, well, I mean, what we find then in like the Gospel of Matthew is you said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So now we go, how is everything in the law pointing us toward the one who fulfilled the law? So the law was meant to lead us to the end of ourself and the beginning of Jesus. It was meant to make us want the life God wants to call us to but to recognize we can't live that life without Jesus who fulfills the law on our behalf. It also we also we also go to John where Jesus we hear that he is the word made flesh among us. So not only is the fulfiller of the law, but he is the very word of God taking on flesh. And when the word of God who took on flesh then rises from the dead and seats at the right hand of God the Father, sending his spirit, now he takes the very word of God made flesh and makes it present in us to be able to live out the very word with the very presence of Christ Mm. in us. So so as you start reading all those things, you should you know, you know should read through Psalm 119 yeah. and just go, yes, I love your word, and yes, I love your law, because it led me to Jesus who fulfilled the law. It led me to Jesus who is the word, right. and not only do I love it because it displays the kind of life that humans were always meant to live, but it leads me to the one who lived it perfectly so that in him and by him I might also live a life that's truly flourishing.
0: Uh, so so it, it wouldn't be wrong to say, or would it, I guess I should ask, to say, like, like if as a Christian as I read Psalm one nineteen, um, it, it would it would or it wouldn't be wrong for me to say like I long for your word. It's it's beautiful to me. I I, I run to it day and night. Yada, yada for us to not necessarily not think about the actual Torah, but to to actually also think about I love your word. Who is Christ? Is that is that a is that a, a legitimate yeah, jump for us? I
2: think that's what we're meant to do. I yeah. think we're meant to say the reason why I love the law is because it's God's way of saying this is the way I want you to live and you don't. Yeah. So the beauty and this is you know Paul talks about this the the beauty of the law is it led us to grace. Yes. It, out of necessity. Uh that it, it taught us the way we ought to live. And then if we are honest, we would say we don't. And because we don't, we can either let the law crush us because we live under the weight of trying to live up to it, or we let the law deliver us to the one who could live up to, us, up to it, which is Jesus. So yes, I love the law because it is the way of life I want to live. And yes, I love the law because it revealed to me that I don't. And yes, I love the law because it led me to Christ who did. And yes, I love the law because now in Christ, I can not only affirm the law is good, but actually with his help, live out what God's intent is for humanity. Would you say so that's yes. Way,
1: So yes. Yes, yes. So yes. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I was going to say, is that the way David <laughs> okay. hoped for it too? Like, Yeah, that's he, what I was going to ask. Like, is he hoping not- Yeah,
2: I mean, I, yeah.
0: Yes. A yes yeah, again.
2: I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say- uh, you know, when you you read David going like, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me and cleanse me with hyssop. And and what is he saying? He's saying, I love your law and I don't keep it. I love your law and I'm deficient of it. And so what does it do? It leads me to the one who not only shows me the way Mm -hmm. of life, but also is gracious and merciful to forgive me of my sins. and so. I love that the law leads me to see where I'm unclean, where I'm unpure, and therefore it leads me to the one who makes me pure. So even, even for David, the end of the law wasn't the law. The end yeah. of the law was that it led him to God.
0: Yep, that's really really good. I don't think
2: I've ever thought about. I don't think
0: I've either. That's <laughs> but, really helpful. Yeah. yeah, it's like for David and the Psalter, it's not the law isn't um, isn't some idol that we just pant after and love because of what it is. It, it it is the same a similar relationship we have with it that it we love it because it is the way of life, right? It is like I've set before you something it's very good. The new way good. to be human. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also we come to the, the end of ourselves and we meet God. Think like of John we, three, yeah.
1: like we the Christians, people who've been transformed by Jesus, love the light because it exposes darkness. Yes, like yeah. there's like this tendency within Christians and people who've been changed by God's grace to love the exposure of their sin because it grants them access to God's
0: grace. Yeah, it's, it shows you more grace. Like, oh, God met me there before I even knew I was that terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. absolutely. So, what, what yeah, am, yeah go you, ahead. you
2: know that you're loving the law rightly if you walk uh, away from your time in the law with humility.
0: Mm, yeah. Right.
2: Right. Because what it does is it shows you your need for a better. It shows you your deficiencies. It makes you love it and lead you to him. And, and so what but if you walk away going, man, look at me, look at what I've done, look at how I kept it. Then you're like the Pharisees who, through the very scriptures God has given them, cannot even see their need for a savior mm-hmm. and therefore miss Jesus who's standing in their midst. And Jesus is very clear about that. You think that by the scriptures you will have life and yet they point to me and they yeah. were meant to lead you to me and you don't come to me. I mean, that's, he's just going like, you missed the whole point.
0: right? And I think oh, the same so is good. true for us.
2: If we walk away without greater humility and then need for grace – and then find in Christ the fulfillment of the law for us. Then we walk away with arrogance and pride and mm. self-righteousness, and that will either crush you because eventually you realize you can't live up to it, or it will it will lead to a puffed up mind that is opposed to God because God's opposed to the proud, but yeah. gives grace to the humble.
0: That's really helpful. Um, so so there's other, but there's there's definitely another way um, that. Um, we, we see Jesus in the Psalms as well. Uh, we've talked a lot about, um, deficiency and expectancy. Um, but there's also like times when, especially in the new Testament, you know, the Psalms are the most quoted book in the new Testament that we see, like they're calling David a prophet. And, uh, Jesus is the, 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 the centerpiece of Psalm 22. And, uh, you know, like all this prophecy, it's not a book of prophecy or is it, it's a different genre. Like how are we to understand seeing Christ in this from like a, Prophetic or a forecasting kind of way, uh, like what would you say about that too?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think because the Psalms are speaking of the truths of who God is. Yeah, really, they are. Like, you are my refuge. You are my shelter. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. I mean, it's so it's describing the characteristics and nature of who God is. So we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Psalms because <laughs> right. he, he is the deity. You know, he is the God man, God made flesh, you know, God in flesh. So so all in a mm. sense, every time the Psalm is speaking of a characteristic or quality of God or an action that God engages in, we should expect to find every one of those characteristics and actions embodied in the gospels wow. in, yeah. the, in the ministry of jesus yeah, the so, bible's
1: not primarily and, about us but about god it makes sense that when god became flesh he looks like <laughs> it the old looks like the psalms yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right that's exactly yeah.
2: it yeah and in fact i think that's that's one of the greatest evidences of jesus being uh the messiah of mm. him being the god man because you will keep finding him in all the psalms right and what what is that saying that's saying he looks just like god And he does just like God does. And there's no other character in all of human history who looks like God, exactly like Jesus looks like God. And the fact that the Psalms were written way before he ever showed up on the scene is is such great evidence that he is the Messiah, that he is the God man, the, the deity in body form. And so to me, that's. That, you should read your Psalms and just go, ah, my faith just grew like crazy because it's it's without a doubt that Jesus is the fulfillment of these
0: things. Yeah, and I love that you you're, you're showing us something here too where we can, when you see God is my rock, God is my refuge, God is my strong tower, like all of these things you can say like, oh, that's what Christ is to me. Like that's what he's bought for me on the cross. That's what he's been risen to life to advocate for me before the Father. Like all this stuff we can say of Jesus. That's really yeah. exciting. Why do you think—yeah, Je- yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah.
2: I want to add to that. See, the, the reason why for some people the Psalms are really hard to engage in is because they didn't walk through his, the history of Israel. Yeah. Like they didn't personally journey through the things that these people journeyed through. And so when they said, when I look to the mountains, where will my help come from— mm that was a very real prayer with real danger, you know, and real challenges in life that they had to go through. And so they're praying out their story, you know, but when we can now say now, when I look to the hills, where will my help come from? And I realize that you know, there's a different variety of ways to interpret that. Right. The hills are the way to get to Jerusalem and it's the pathway to go and worship God, but there's also possible danger on the way. There's all kinds of different ways that they gotta wrestle with that text. And I think it has lots of beautiful meaning. Mm. But we, we might read that and go like, Okay, like I I have real issues in my life where I know there's great fear of people coming against me of uh, attack spiritually, my own flesh that I've got to die to. And when I think about ascending to the hill of the Lord, and really coming before Him in genuine, mm. pure worship, I realize there's a whole bunch of enemies that want to shut that down and keep me from getting to, as it were, the Jerusalem yeah. of our God, you know? And so so then I'm praying that going, but Jesus has overcome the flesh. He, he condemned the flesh, Romans 8 says, so that I know there's victory of my own flesh. And I know he's overcome sin because he buried it in the grave and left it there. And I know he's overcome Satan and all of his demons because he rose again victoriously over them. And so I can say, Where do I look to when I think about the the ascending to the Lord's hill of wanting to worship God in Jerusalem and, in a sense, entering into communion with God? Well, I look to the one who overcame flesh, who who destroyed sin, who is victorious over Satan, so that I, too, can have the same victorious ascent uh, to God in worship through Jesus Christ, who lifts me up into the heavenly realms so I get to dwell in the dwelling place of God in heaven right now through prayer.
0: Yeah, I so I would that.
2: do that, so so that I have my narrative mm. that is is completed in Christ, just as Israel had their narrative that they were longing to be completed in the Messiah.
0: Yeah, definitely. You are talking about prayer, and it makes me—I've never thought of this before. So this might be a terrible idea, uh, and <laughs> if it is, Jeff, you, like you, you feel free to be like, I don't know about that, David. You know, but uh, I was just thinking—I was thinking like, why is it that the Psalms are the most quoted book in the New Testament? And it's like maybe it's because like these these are the things that have been on the lips of the people over and over and over and over again, especially in exile, trying to pray these prayers. Where is my help going to come from, especially? You were just talking about that. Like, my, the Lord's my strong tower, but all the towers are in ruins. Like, you know, he's my walled city, but I'm not in a walled city. They've all been torn down by the Babylonians. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like yep. and, and then when when Christ comes and Hebrews just starts, like, like throwing out psalms, he's like, Jesus is this and this and this and this. And it's like, oh, that's what I've been praying. Like, do you think that's one of the reasons? It's, it's kind of speculative, but is that one? one of the reasons why maybe the new Testament so strewn with the Psalms because they're prayers that have been on the lips of the people.
2: Absolutely. This is their hymn book. Yeah. This is their prayer book. I mean, they, they, this is what they prayed. This is what they sang. This was daily on their lips, you know? So yeah, I mean, they, they were saturated in this language to the degree that they could apply it to Jesus so quickly in a sense, like back to our earlier question, we want to grow in gospel fluency. Just start praying the Psalms. Just start singing the Psalms. And and then if you can sing and pray the Psalms leading you to Jesus, if you keep that in front of you, that they're all meant to lead me there, then you will have such a a breadth of Mm. language to use to display what God and Christ is all about. And the world needs the Psalms. Yes. they, they, They are so accessible. And so applicable to everyday life, they really are. And so they're just a beautiful display of what God is all about and how we, He leads us to Himself in Christ. I love that. So, well, Seth, so yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, that's cool. Seth, any, any last question you'd want to end on here? Yeah,
1: I have one other question. That okay. it's kind of like one of the larger themes in the Psalter in general is this. There's like there seems to be a division, a fundamental division in humanity between humans who are righteous who follow God's law, and those who are wicked and who will be judged.
0: Right, because that's how the, the the whole psalm book starts off with that, right? In right. Psalm 1. Like yep. there's,
1: there's two visions of what it looks like to live life. Sure. And one leads in ju- to judgment, and one leads to blessing. And so how do we as Christians read that now? How does it offer hope for non-believers, and mm. how does it hope or, uh, offer like justice for the oppressed? Like, How do we think through these themes of justice those two and wickedness of and righteousness yeah. throughout the psalms?
2: Well, I think there's a variety of ways to think about that. I think there's an imminent way, a, a, an everyday way to think about that, and I think there's an eschatological, like future way of looking at that. And I think the imminent, the present reality of that is that God's God's wisdom is proved right by the the fruits that it produces. And so, I mean, the the thing with the Psalms is they're telling you what life will look like if you live it in worship and submission to Yahweh, and ultimately now in Jesus Christ. Um, so it leads to life. I mean, it really does. And I think so so often when we proclaim the gospel to the the non-believing world, we make it primarily about the future, about life after death. But what you would get if you read the Bible and you read the Psalms and you you understood what it means to come to Jesus is that you don't just get a, a future hope. You get get a present life that's yeah. abundant that's fulfilling that is wisdom embodied that it's flourishing and so <clears throat> i think the psalms lay out for us a way of saying this is what life could look like for you in submission to god not just future but present and i think the flip side is true that <clears throat> this is what life will look like for you without him mm. it's destructive it's 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 it, it leads to others destruction and so you've got that present reality then you got the future yeah. that Those who walk in the ways of the Lord uh, or who realize they don't and come to faith in Jesus for forgiveness so that they might have a new life and walk in new ways they will not only experience life now, but there will be a life forever that's abundant and full, and it is the life of flourishing and wisdom, and they can be certain that God will deal with all of the oppression and all of the injustice. And we, why, why do we know that? Because the cross is the epitome yeah. of what God thinks of sin. <clears throat> I mean, if you want to know what God yeah. thinks of sin, you look at the cross, and it's on display there. Like when people think of the wretchedness of of sin and I tell people all the time who've been deeply abused or wounded or hurt I go just so you know if you want to know what God thinks of sin look at the cross mm. he hates it yeah he's telling you how bad it is he's not saying he's ignoring it or not paying attention to it or unaware of it he's so aware of it that he's willing to suffer the worst possible death to show you that he cares about what you've gone through. And it's by his wounds that we are healed. Not only is he going to bring justice about when when the time comes, but he's going to bring healing to all those who've been deeply wounded and marred from sin's effects. And so I think we can say to the unbelieving world, do you want to live life to the fullest? The Psalms show us how, and they lead us to the one who can bring us to that life in Christ. But let me tell you also, if you choose not to, it will lead to a life of destruction, both now and forevermore. And God will vindicate his righteousness. He will have justice, and he will punish those who continue to turn away from him and his word, and especially Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I think we, we, we have to teach it in a present way right. and in a future way, yep. which gives hope for people coming to faith in Christ, both for life abundant and healing, but it also gives hope for those who are wondering if God's paying attention, mm. that he is going to vindicate and bring about justice in due time.
0: Yeah, that's really, really helpful, especially like <clears throat> I think also knowing the eschatological, the eschatological bent of some of these ways that we can pray some of these psalms helps us through some of the more difficult ones, like especially the imprecatory psalms where it's like dash their children against the rocks. I'm like, whoa slow down I don't really I have a hard time praying that yeah. one imminently right now <laughs> but uh, well yeah yeah and
2: let me let me give you some language of that too because yeah. I think as you guys walk people through this some of them precatory prayers are are praying what we're feeling yeah and I think that's important because I think there is a part of us that says sin is so wretched it leads me to want there to be an end to the the sinful destruction to the point at which I wish people were no longer doing it, so I cry out, "God, could you get rid of them?" Yeah. Now, mm. if you follow those psalms, they also lead you to a God who is merciful yeah. to to the to the guilty who turn to Him. Mm. And so, so that it's a, I, I love. I think the psalms are giving us an opportunity to say, "This is what I feel towards wickedness. I mm. hate it, yeah. and I wish it would end. Yep. And I can't even believe God, you would let these people live. Right? What are you doing?" And then into that, God says, "And I'm merciful," and and so then you go, "Okay, if because if He treated me like I deserved, <laughs> yeah. I would no longer be alive either." Yeah. And that's where those Psalms turn, as oh. they turn on you at one point and go, "Hey, do you know who you are?" Yeah. And you know, King David is a murderer, right? So like, so like, and he gets mercy, and so I think they're meant to give us the opportunity to express our hatred for sin, mm-hmm. our desire for it to end, and then to be turned by God into a mercy and grace to even those who are wicked, praying that they would also come to repentance. So I think it does both. So it, it doesn't allow us to diminish the wickedness of sin, but at the same time, it allows us to magnify the mercy of God.
0: Wow. That's I think good. it does both. Yeah.
2: Because as soon as we go, like, man, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's just, it's, who cares? I mean, God's forgiving. God's loving. Yeah. You know, and that's where people go with it. It's right. crazy. You're like, no, no, no. You act like God doesn't even care. Right. Like, he hates it. Yeah. And He loves you, and He wants to restore us. And so having both those is what makes the gospel so beautiful, because we understand how wicked sin is and what it deserves, and how merciful God is in not giving us what we deserve.
0: Yeah, that's extremely helpful. Man, just just even though like five minutes in the imprecatory just makes me want to, all right, let's talk about the Kingly Psalms and let's talk about <laughs> the Thanksgiving Psalms and the Songs of Ascent and the Songs of Zion, but there's not enough time. Uh, yeah. But Jeff, this has been extremely helpful, yeah. really encouraging um, and just like, and like really just like a, a real blessing and, 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 and I don't know i'm just i'm excited yeah. to just get to chat with you um your books have, your books and your teaching have been really helpful for me and my family and seth as well i know so just thank you for the way that um, you're letting god use you and the way that you just completely stand on the gospel no holds barred no compromise that's where we're going to stand and that's the you're, you're leading a new generation like us um in those footsteps to hopefully continue that that torch and uh it's it's uh it's it's a burden we don't take lightly and we're really excited to to follow in that in those footsteps for sure. Yeah. So thank mm-hmm. you so much.
2: Well, thank you for stewarding what God's putting into you.
0: Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, we we really do invite you to go check out www.jeffvanderstelt.com, follow him on Twitter at jeffvanderstelt pick up gospel basics for kids even for yourself you know the basics are gonna just be so helpful for you pick up gospel fluency saturate the gospel fluency handbook if you run a community group or anything we'll put all this in the description of the podcast you're gonna you're gonna be really be blessed by anything you pick up so Jeff again thank you so much and uh, we'll see you guys next week see you guys Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com.